I said before, this is this is my dad, and uh, he's going to speak to us this morning on marriage. And uh, thank you for so many of you who've been congratulatory. I'm actually going to be getting married this month myself. And uh, trying to emphasize marriage at Rocky Mount Baptist Church, I figured it's probably better to have someone address that in detail who actually has been married. And so uh, I hope that you'll make them welcome. They grow, uh, him and mom drove from Greenville, South Carolina to be here with us yesterday. Uh, those of you parents who were here last night, we had a family teaching session, probably about an hour and a half. Hospitality team absolutely hit a grand slam um, with the food last night. It was a great time. So would you just give uh, my dad a warm welcome, uh, Jimmy Robinson, this morning. Good job. Yeah. We appreciate how you have just taken care of our son. Not that he needs taken care of, but you have loved him and prayed for him, nurtured him, and helped him speak some times. And now he's uh, getting ready to get married, so you really need to pray for him now. <laughs> it's really, really exciting. Okay. Uh, we're glad to be here, and we love you so much. We pray for you, and I know you pray for us, and uh, we're just blessed by what God is doing in this community through Rocky Mount Baptist Church, and we hear things that are going on, and so we're so excited about that. Now, Jeff says, I only have two hours to preach this morning, <laughs> so you know what means when a preacher takes his watch off and lays it right there? Not a thing. That's right. Not a thing. All right. We're going to take off, and I hope you have something you can help uh, to remember some of the principles that God shares this morning to us through his word. Message today, Ten Commandments to Protect the Picture. Ten Commandments to Protect the Picture. And we'll hit some of them very quickly and others will linger on them a little bit and see if we can do that. And uh, we get out about 3 o'clock, right? now. know we'll get out uh, uh, real close to uh, 1210, somewhere along in there. So I'm not going to preach all that time. My wife's going to share a few things at, at the end and then we'll, uh, we'll make one final appeal. Harvard University did a study on divorce. And they found out that one in three, the national divorce rate, one in two, between one in two and one in three divorce. The average for people who were married in a church ceremony is one in 50. Now, that's interesting. And for those who were married in a Christian wedding ceremony, attend church weekly. That's W-E-E-K-L-Y. Read the Bible and pray together. The divorce rate average is one in 1,105. So, it's important that we understand that the picture, that marriage is a picture, a picture of the Christ who created marriage and the church that he bought with his blood. Picture of the husband and the wife. And it's so important for us to understand because we uh, we were doing some marriage counseling uh Jeff's fiance is fat, his dad, her dad is a, a pastor and uh, they worked in church work for a long time and you know it's very interesting when people come to get married they come really like this I pile stuff in here on top of this here they kind of come like this okay there are, when people come to get married when they come before the preacher before the lord before the people there are really two people, but there are really six people. Six people coming. And even though I thought I knew my wife before 
We were married. I didn't really know her. She didn't really know me. And it's really interesting. On the groom's side, there is the person he thinks he is, the person she thinks he is, and the person he really is. You know? We usually, when we're dating and getting to know one, we usually have our best foot forward. You know? We don't always see the real person. On the bride's side, the person she, there is the person she thinks she is, the person he thinks she is, and the person she really is. And so when we get into this thing, we find out that marriage is a faith venture. It's a faith deal. It means we're making a vow to someone we really don't know. We feel like God's brought us together, but we find out. The Bible said, says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And meekness is yielding your rights to God, taking the power that God has put in your life and keeping it under control so you can bless your wife, bless your husband, bless your children, bless your church. One guy said this. He said, a marriage bound together by commitments to exploit the other for fulfilling their own needs, for fulfilling one's own needs, can legitimately be described as a tick on a dog. Or as we say in Texas, a dog. A tick on a dog. Just as a hungry tick clamps onto a nourishing host in anticipation of a meal, so each partner unites with the other with the expectation of that other person meeting their basic needs. The rather frustrating dilemma, the man said, was, of course, is that, is that in such a marriage, there are two ticks and no dog. <laughs> was a guy did a family seminar, marriage seminar, and explaining how you're supposed to find your spouse and all the things. And at the end of it, a little couple came up, been married 60 years. And they came up and they said to him, they said, we looked at each other. And we held our breath. And we hoped we had married the right person. You know, that's that's not really too funny. But what it is, is that we don't know the other person. But God says, I want you to join together, husband and wife, a picture of Christ in the church. You're more effective together than you are apart, single. And serve the Lord and bear fruit for the Lord. Now, the Bible says a very... Clear presentation here of the picture. Look at the picture. Ten commandments to protect the picture. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband's head of the wife is also Christ's head of the church. And he's the savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their husbands, their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. Now, that means that we, the husband and the wife, are to wash each other with the word. And it is painful. The Bible says the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing asunder of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow... And it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Hebrews 4, verse 11 and 12. We made a commitment 
to use the Bible on each other in, speak the truth, in love. If you want to have a good marriage, or at least a marriage that sticks together through thick and thin, then make a commitment to use the Bible on each other and do it right. Not in the spirit of accusation, accusatory like the, the enemy, who the accuser of the brethren, but to be able to, to wash each other with the word, that he might present her to himself, verse 27, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. It's a picture of an offering that didn't have any blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives with their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So when we leave father and mother... And then we cleave. We leave and we cleave. And that word cleave has to do with glue. It's almost like gluing two pieces of board together. And if you tear that board apart, one one part away from the other part, it, it won't work. It just all comes apart. And so it's important for us to understand that when you come to be together, your picture of Christ and the church, you're walking evangelism. That's right. Walking evangelism. Your children ought to hear that you love lost people and that you care about those who do not know Jesus. You're concerned about them, that you're ministering to people. You're trying to build bridges and so forth. So it's important. And that was the basis of our marriage. We've had trouble in our marriage, just not major trouble, but just interaction, disagreements. We still disagree. I mean, you got two opposites. Number one, expect opposites that detract may attack. If you think you're getting married and you're not going to be different than the one who is opposite to you, God takes two opposite genders and brings them together and they don't kill each other. I mean, they don't have, uh, whatever. It's a miracle. And they can make babies. Oh my. They can make life. They can make a wreck of each other. <laughs> you know? Marriage is a faith venture. It's a, a vow renewal venture. We, we, different times in our marriage, we renew our vows in our heart, you know, and the miracle of God. Someone approached the grieving widow. Expect opposites that detract may attack. Someone approached the grieving widow at a funeral and they said, I'm sorry, my dear. Tell me, what were your husband's last words? She said, he said, you don't scare me with that shotgun, Martha. You couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> Sometimes you want to wring their neck and even pull out a gun and, you know, well, because we're, we're into this laboratory of life that God deals with you and I all the time. You're about the little kid. He was in Sunday school and the teacher kept saying the children of Israel did this and the children of Israel hurt God's heart and children of Israel bro did this and he looked up at the teacher he said, Let, teacher, he said, I want to know what were the adults doing all during doing 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 during all this time? Well what were the adults doing? And that's the way with us. Did you know God's parenting you right now? And sometimes you don't do well, and I don't either. 
So we're, we're, it's a laboratory of life. Expect opposites that attract may attack. Expect the differences to generate debate. Your differences. We need each other. We're different. We see life differently. Bible says it's not good that a man should be alone, God said, and I'll make him a helper com- comparable to him. And then the Bible says there in 1 Corinthians 11 about the church, sometimes there's different viewpoints in the church. There must be factions among you that those who are approved may be recognized among you. What is that saying to us in a marriage viewpoint? It's saying that sometimes you're just going to see things completely different. And you're, if, it doesn't mean you're both wrong. Sometimes you're, one is wrong, the other is right, uh, right one's wrong. And, but the fact is there's going to be differences. And there's going to be debate. And sometimes you're going to attack. And, and, and you're going to be critical of each other. One guy was sitting with a, in a marriage count with a marriage counselor and his wife sitting there with him and the man looks over and he's got his ball cap on and his t-shirt on with his team number on it and everything and he says Edith says I'm too obsessed I'm I'm having trouble speaking this morning <laughs> Edith says I'm too obsessed with sports doc should we punt or go for it your wife can read you like a book And you can learn to read your wife like a book. In our marriage, one of the Robinson rules is we never, we made a commitment never to mention divorce. Now we meditated on murder a lot. (laughs) But the commitment was we never mentioned divorce. That is not an option. I'm sure there are times when she'd like to get rid of me. You're different. One of the major problems is money. How to spend your money and and how to manage money. One lady said, is your husband tight with money? Is he? The other woman said, every time he takes a penny out of his pocket, Lincoln blinks at the light. (laughs) See, now Jennifer looks at, at a financial decision, and you do too, through the immediate needs. Immediate needs of the children, the immediate needs of the home, the repairs, the reputation, their security. In other words, how to spend the money on an immediate need being met that the wife feels like. And that's not, that's normal. Women look that way. Men, they look at financial decisions and spending money through the future goals that he has, through his job, through his investments, his self-esteem, his self-image. So what she has to do, she has to appeal to him on the basis of meeting basic needs. She must explain how her ideas will help him reach his goals. And he must explain how his ideas will meet her needs. And just keep talking on it. One husband said to his wife, I know you believe you understand what you think I said, but I'm not sure you realize that what you heard is not what I meant. Huh? So just keep on talking, keep on sharing, keep on working, using those commandments on each other. It's so important. You see, God wrote us last night, I mentioned in the parenting seminar, God put a a heart in us, and in that heart there is a conscience, and it means con with science knowledge. And that conscience points to the commandments of love. God called us to love each other. 
Husband, love your wives. Wife, love your husband. Honor your husband. And so the commandments of love are there. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your neighbor is yourself. Jesus took the first four commandments. And in the last six, loving your neighbor. If you love your neighbor, you will honor your neighbor. Number five, honor your mom and dad. Honor the counsel of godly people that you trust in. Number six, you won't hate. If you hate your brother, you're a murderer. The Bible says you shall not, number six commandments, you shall not murder. It says if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. And we know that a murderer has eternal life in him. So we use these commandments on each other. In other words, we ask each other, are we, is it, was the spirit of our home today with all the talking and yang yang and everything happening? Were we have a, a loving home or a hating home? And that can happen. We use the Bible on each other. Use those commandments because they're written right in the heart. You see, if you were using the commandments, the Ten Commandments of love, first four to love God, then God would be first in your home. You and your husband could make a commitment tonight, get together and say, number one, you shall have no other God besides me. From now on, we're going to tell our children God's number one in our home. That's it. Joshua said it. Today, so choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Number two, no idols. No idols in our house. We're not going to let things become more important than God. Not a person, not a position, not a possession. We're going to do that. Number three, don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain. We're going to have clean speech in our house. And when we don't, we need to, we'll, we'll confront one another. Mom and dad will confront each other and They'll confront, and even if dad slips up and says something wrong, the children will become an appealer to him or her. Number four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. In our house, we won't come up and we won't say on Saturday night, are we going to church tomorrow? No, we go to church every Sunday. Well, the Bible said, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. One of the basic reasons, did you know the greatest number of words in the Ten Commandments were for the ones about the... The day where you go and worship and then you rest your body. That's it. And, that, and, and so don't let church be an option. Let it be a, a regular. You don't ask on Saturday night, are we going to church tomorrow? We go every Sunday. Now, the only way, the only excuse that they have for not coming to church is their fever, throwing up, real sick. Right? Don't come. But other than that, you know, number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, you shall not hate. Number seven, censorship. Jesus, God said, you shall not commit adultery. And the Bible says Jesus was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. If we let things in our house, either through DVDs or through the TV, and we don't censor it, we're violating that commandment. Number eight, thou shall not steal. Respect each other. Respect each other's stuff. So forth and so on. So it's important for us to use those commandments. Now, wives, they share feelings. And one of the things that really, really bonds you together and brings intimacy is when you listen to each other. And that's one of the hardest things for some people, just listening and hearing the heart of the other person. It's very difficult. Now, when a wife shares, when a wife shares... This is how she shares. If you ask her, how was her day? Get ready. All the details. Chase a rabbit over here. There are, there are necessary details to express her feelings. 
Much information has been processed to produce these feelings. And when you ask your wife, how was your day? How did you feel about your day? You get ready to listen. And it'll be great. You just have to listen. And women do that. That's how they, they, they uh, share how it helped them, how it hurt them, how it created them better, made them creative. Uh, you ask your wife, what do you, what do you feel about it? And then you listen. Attentiveness. What is attentiveness? The Bible says God does not sleep nor slumber. He's always attentive to us and our needs. The Bible says pray without ceasing. It means God's listening all the time. And you men and, and women, we need to listen to each other. Love each other by listening. Attentiveness is showing that that person has worth. And that they are important. And what they're, what they're sharing is important. Now, if your wife starts sharing things just before you go to bed and you're, go, you're, you're, you're passing out, you, that's an excuse. You say, honey, I'm gone, you know. There'd be a point at which you might have to give up there. But one reason why that couples don't have intimacy is because they don't listen to one another. And that's important. Men, women are on that left side of the brain. The men are on the right side of the brain. Men, if you ask them for a caring conversation, a caring conversation for a woman is to listen to her share her whole thing. And she wants to just kind of that you bond with her on that and, and, and feel what she feels, or at least kind of know the all the ins and outs of it. But men, if you ask them for a caring conversation, this is it. Did you pay the bill? Did you, did you put gas in the car? When can we go to bed? Is your mother coming over? You know, men are kind of like a corridor in a hotel. Rooms on the side, everything compartmentalized. But women are kind of like a clothes dryer. And it's spinning around and all together, the job and 20 different subjects and every door in the hall is open to her. little boy ran up to his dad one time and said, Dad... He said, Dad, I have a question. And he said, well, go ask your mama that question. He said, Dad, I didn't want to know that much about it. (laughs) So we have to know the difference. Number two, boot out the blame game. Just tell Satan that he has no right in your house. You can't. Why? Because the Bible says that's how Adam and Eve did it. There it was. The woman you gave me. Gave to be with me. She gave me out of the tree and I ate. And the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I hate. You see, blaming is of the devil. Just blaming. You say, you ought to have a signal. If you, you know, maybe go like this. B, we're blaming each other. Or he's blaming her or they're blaming them or whatever. The blame game. Get rid of the blame game. You know, this is so true of me. The difference between a man and a woman is really quite clear. If a woman should get up in the middle of the night and stub her toe, she says, oh, I've hurt my toe. If a man should get up in the middle of the night and stub his toe, he screams, who left this chair in the middle of the living room? <laughs> That's me. I don't blame somebody. Woman said, I'm hurting. Would you please help me? You know, it's so funny how we are. But boot out the, just say, look, we're going to call down heaven on the blame game. Okay. Catch yourself. Appeal to each other. The guy was sitting there eating his lunch. He said, oh, he opened his lunch up. He said, oh, man. He said, bologna and cheese again. 
And the guy said, what, what's the matter? He says, it's a baloney and cheese again for my lunch. He said, well, won't you tell the one who fixed your lunch you'd like something different? He says, I made it. <laughs> blame each other. The reason why we don't want to blame each other is because it goes viral. It goes viral. You know, the Bible says once you let water come out of your body, you can't stop it. And it's, it's just, it's just viral. Notice what happens here. Look at the, look at verse 31 here of Ephesians 4. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Notice that wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking, malice, ill will. The opposite, God says, be kind to one another. Paul said, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Be imitators of God. It goes viral. When we don't kill the blame game, it'll kill us. Next, be a peacemaker, not a prideful powder. Now, I am good at pouting. My wife would tell you. Everybody does pouting differently. But be a peacemaker, not a prideful powder. Pride is reserving for myself the right to make final decisions rather than God and his Bible. Pride is expecting the family to fit their ideas and opinions around my opinion. That's pride. So pride, God resists the proud, and so do people. Why do we resist pride? Because God made us in his image. You and I are little, quote, not gods, but we are imitate. We're, we're dear children of God and we judge each other. And in the family of all places, we ought to say, no more blame game. And who's pouting? And different people pout different ways. Did you know that? How does your wife pout? How does your husband pout? How do your children pout? We all pout. The Bible says God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's a football term. It means God stiff arms the proud. So when we have pride while well up in our home, we ought to say one another, we ought to say, are we being prideful? Or is that, are we being prideful? By the way, I have a copy here. Personal evaluation for husbands and wives, and I'm going to put it over here, Jeff, and you make some copies and have it. It's good for us to evaluate where we are. Are we powders? Are we slidden, have we slidden into pouting? Have we slidden into blaming in our home? Have we stopped listening to one another? So I'm going to leave these over here and make some copies and have them for people to pick up next week and use it in in their uh, renewal of their vows, maybe. Number three, expel the idolatrous Serpent of divorce. <clears throat> Expel the idolatrous serpent of divorce. Attacking. Bill said, my wife treats me like an idol. Ralph says, why do you say that? She feeds me burnt offerings at mealtime all the time. <laughs> she said, with my, he said, with my wife, it's usually the call is come and get it. But with her, it's try and eat it. Now he shouldn't be doing that. That should be that he should not be doing that with his friends. Shouldn't be talking about his wife to his friend. Do you talk about your spouse to other people? You shouldn't do that. The Bible says if your brother, wife, sister, child, if your brother offends you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And some of us have loose lips. Loose lips 
That's it. And it'll sink a marriage. So we have to learn, Lord, would you please help me to work this out with you? Now, there's places for counselors. I mean, Jeff knows all the answers, so you can come to him. So, expel the idolatrous serpent of divorce. What is the idolatrous serpent of divorce? Second commandment says, excuse me, don't make an idol with your hands or your heart is basically what the second commandment says. And what we try to do sometimes is we try to make our wife logical. Hello? My wife is so wise. She is. She's a wise wife. And when I don't follow her, I usually, quote, lose money or something. You know, and I weep and wail. Why didn't I listen? Oh, my goodness. But if I try to make her into my own image, I won't get those helping things. And a lot of women, they think that they're going to make a man... And deliver him from his animal instincts, make him into a woman almost. And they don't even realize what they're doing. So don't try to make your spouse into your own image. That's why you were attracted to him or her anyway. The deception. The wife should submit in silence. No. The wife should share her heart when she senses danger in the home or danger in her husband's life or her life or with the children's lives. Women are more conscious of relationships. Women think men are mind readers sometimes. And women, whenever your husband says, is there anything wrong? And the husband senses there's something wrong and you say, nope. (laughs) Then husband, you have a right to say, what is the ninth commandment? You shall not lie. So if a a wife thinks her husband knows, let me tell you, we don't even know what's going on sometimes. Wives, you think we're supposed to know what you need. Sometimes we don't even know. I'm sorry to tell you. You say, well, God messed up, didn't he? No, he didn't do that. Women, you know, that's one of their problems that they... They think that men are supposed to read their mind. And no more than if you went into a restaurant and the person said, what do you want? You should say, you could say to her, well, you know what I want. You have to tell her. And so it's important that women understand that they are not just called to deliver us from a, being a hormone machine. And you're not supposed to say to your husband, animal rights groups have nothing on you. You're an animal. That probably is true. (laughs) My wife says this. She says, your muscles ripple. I love to see your muscles ripple when you take out the garbage. (laughs) There are differences. You're going to differ. Men, think about two or three things. And women think about a, a lot of things. One woman told her husband, tell me, Donald, do you think I'm too aggressive? I want a straight answer and I want it now. (laughs) When you do these things, you can destroy generational sins. You can destroy generational sins. Every woman wants a hero to protect her. Every woman wants a friend to share his heart with her. 
Every woman wants a playmate to live and love and laugh through life together. Every woman wants a lover. Every man wants a lover. Every man wants a cheerleader. Every man wants the best friend to lean on in times that are tough. But when times that are tough, I know I can go home and I can say, this is what's going on. And my wife would turn automatically from that mother in the home to a counselor, to a rock, to a Bible following. And I, that gives me so much security when I have problems in life. Every man needs a lover, a cheerleader, a best friend, and a mama to wash his drawers. Right. Let's just be, let's just be right open with each other this morning. Giving in marriage. Doing things. And don't ever say, guys, I could have the happiest marriage if she would just be logical. Don't do that. It's impossible. God was building all kinds of character in you to listen and to praise her and love her and enjoy her. Number four, put to death your expectations. And fulfill your responsibilities. Okay, I'm going to keep moving here quickly. We're getting behind. Why gratefulness is the key to marriage. Gratefulness is so important. The basic cause of unhappiness in marriage is unfulfilled expectations. The Bible says an unhappy wife is a public rebuke to her husband. A wife who is just hurting and 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 not radiant and not happy. It, it, it shows that we're not listening. We're not praising. We're not loving. Put to death your expectations. Fulfill your responsibilities. I would suggest you do this. Get along with the Lord. List your reactions to your partner. Things I like. Things I don't like. List your reactions. And then tell God, I believe you're at work in this situation to conform me to your image. And then go to her or him and ask forgiveness. The hardest words in the English language in sequence are these. And I said it last night. Your children will rebel against you and react to you if you don't use these words. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Seven words. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? It's important. Now, guys, when you do that, it may take your wife to feel like she forgives you in about two days. But usually guys can do it logically in about an hour or whatever. So keep that in mind. Expectations can destroy love. There's 1 Corinthians 13 verses 4 to 7. Expectations. Take your expectations. Build an altar. And just say, Lord, these expectations are in your hands. Because what destroys so many marriages, they come and expect. you got these six people. And that destroys the marriage when they, they can't please have you ever tried to please somebody that can't be pleased? And it just destroys both the person that has that attitude and those around them. It's so important. What rights must be yielded up by each marriage partner? Yielded, yielded up expectations. What, what, what do we have to do? We have to, when we get married, we yield up the right to parental security. We yield up the right to outside friendships. Our time use has changed now to focus on our our wife and her husband, hobbies. I know one of the hardest things I had when I was, I got saved through church softball. So I was very loyal to church softball. I, I loved it because it meant so much to me and the camaraderie and the fun. And then I got saved 
by going to having to go to church one hour a week to play church softball. But when I got married, I played church softball two nights a week. I was at church two more, three more nights a week. And Aunt Jennifer came to me one day and she said, you know, we're really not spending time together. And she was right. But it was hard for me to understand. This is something I cherish. This, 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 I was still quote young and athletic and that kind of thing. Still, I'm still athletic. But it was something I wanted to do. But God said, look, that's, this is a change here. And she appealed to me and she was right and we changed it. The right to be loved and obeyed. We yield that right when we get married. The right to demand or withhold physical affection. We yield those things up when we come. See, the Bible says, Jesus said, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meekness is yielding up those rights, and then God will give them back to us. Meditate on the teaching of the triangle of love. You, some of you heard the uh, the uh, family that has 19 kids, and they share in their seminar that it's like an, it's this triangle. The closer we get to each other, the closer we get to God. The closer we get to God. God, the closer we get to each other. So go to bed some nights meditating on that triangle. And it works. It is so true. It is so true. Complete each other or you will compete with each other. Complete each other or you will compete with each other. It's so very important. Now, if you don't, what will happen is you'll end up with bitter kids. Your children may take up sides, take up an offense, and become bitter. And we become like our bitter enemy. We become like the person we don't forgive. The Bible says, you who condemn, you who judge, do the same thing. We end up being like the person we don't release, we don't forgive. The word forgive means to release. So you don't want your children taking up offense for mom or dad, one against the other. You just want to say, look, we're going to make it right with each other. We're going to turn from that. Listen to your wife's cautions, number six. Listen to your wife's cautions. So very important. Sometimes if we don't listen, we lose. We lose financially. We lose other ways. God speaks to your wife sometime, men, that he won't speak to you directly. He'll go right through your wife. You don't listen to your wife. You don't listen to God. I don't have time to give illustrations on that one. But there are times when you don't listen to your wife. Ananias and Sapphira made a, a deal. They made a deal to misrepresent the sale price of their land. They were going to be, quote, generous to the church, but they just told a lie. Don't listen to your wife. Don't listen to Jezebel. So sometimes you don't listen to her if she's wrong. And you you know it from the word that you tell her, thank you, honey, I appreciate it, but we can't do it that way. Glory in God's first great commission. Glory in that. This is the foundation of your marriage. The Bible says, be fruitful. God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. That means fill the world, world to overflowing with those who would worship God in spirit and in truth. With children. If you can have children, have them. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, a lot of challenge. It's joy, but it also sometimes is frustrating. Adam woke up after God's anesthetic, and God had the woman there. And Adam said, what is that? And God said, that's a woman. And Adam said, what am I supposed to do with that woman? 
And God said, just take her home tonight. So Adam took her home. Next day, Adam came back to God and said, God, what's a headache? Sometimes it's frustrating to be married. But God builds all kinds of wonderful things in your life. Remember that a good idea always generates into work. There they raised, had Cain and Cain killed his brother. Work, problems, trials. But it's the, it's the place. There's a man divorced his wife of 21 years after a bitter court battle, six year court battle. In an effort to find the ideal woman, he turned to a computer dating service. Ironically, from a list of 2,000 prospective brides, the computer selected his former wife. And he said, I married her back, and it's been a great marriage. We just think we don't know. God knows what he's doing. Number eight, the power from the picture in prayer protects the nation. That's the problem with our nation right now. One of the problems is that we who are picture of Christ and church are not praying together. We get mad at each other and don't make up and stuff. And we don't pray together. And the Bible says, likewise, husbands, dwell with your wife with understanding, giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel, being heirs together, the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. Let the husband render to his wife the affection due her. And likewise, also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but her husband does. And likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another except with consent for a time that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. You see, we have power to make babies. We have power to pray God's blessing on this country. We have power to say, God, would you put a hedge around that child? Lord, would you bless, help that child to understand our protection? Lord, would you go after that runaway prodigal and bring him back or her back? Lord, we have, and did you know there are unbelievable prayers prayed just for a, a, a humble wife and husband praying together and asking God to do something great. One of our problems in our nation, we don't pray together anymore. We don't cry out to God. And the number one place the prayers to come from is the husband and the wife that knows Jesus and loves souls and loves this nation, loves their kids. Defeat the enemy of intimacy with the economy of the Great Commission. Care about lost people. Keep your conscience clear, number B. Keep your conscience clear. One of our Robinson rules, you don't go to bed without making up. Okay. Don't go to bed without making up. One person said, we decided never go to bed mad. We've gone without sleep now for four weeks. (laughs) A happy marriage gives hope to the world. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when the desire comes, it's a tree of life. Oh, my friend, people are wanting to know, does it work? Does this Bible work? Do the two opposites, can they live together and not kill each other and raise good kids? It can happen. And it gives people hope. Right now, people are watching your marriage. There are young people saying, I just, I just think we're going to go shack up. We're going to try it out. And I've got some material about that, too, from Focus on the Family. So we need to understand that we are the powerful deal. Number 10, shut the door on foolish friends' influence, but offer them God's love test. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You may have to say to some friends, we can't be real close friends anymore, or just because they are affecting and influencing your family in a negative way. But you want to pray for them. 
Because God has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the Ten Commandments, by the man who has ordained, and God has raised Jesus from the dead. And the Bible says, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent. We are evangelism. Husband and wife concerned about lost people. Husband and wife together, powerful prayer over their kids and their needs and their walk-a-day world.